So we're going to start a new series today. Um, I'm excited about it. It's called My One Thing. You guys have probably jumped to all kinds of conclusions on what that means, right? Jesus is our one thing. Yeah? Let me, I'm going to start off a little different. I want to start off by saying what Christianity is not. Are you ready? Christianity is not just about rules. If you get one thing from what we preach up here, I hope you understand that. Like, you don't become a Christian and like, oh, now I'm a good person. Now I follow all the rules. All Jesus really cares about is that I do the right thing. That is not at all what Christianity is. Christianity is first and foremost about love. Now, when I say love, I, you guys might jump to some kind of conclusion in your head, like loving other people, yes. But really, it's about God's love for you. That's what Christianity is about. So you see, the reason I'm opening like that is because today I'm going to get into some nitty-gritty things about where we fail, all right, some areas where we are weak, but I want you to know I'm doing it because God ultimately wants deeper, more connected, and serious relationship with you. It's not to reprimand you and say you're an awful person, although a lot of times we are awful people. It's because he wants deeper relationship with you. That's the reason. Amen? We all get that? So the problem is this. We know that God is ultimately supposed to be our one thing. Jesus is supposed to be our one thing. When I say our one thing, I mean the consistent rock in our lives, the prime mover in our lives, the one that keeps our focus and attention the most. But if you're honest with yourself, it's not for most of us. He is not for most of us. We are riddled with idols. John Calvin says this, the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us in from his mother's womb is an expert in inventing idols. Did you see that? I want you to read that. We are experts from the womb at inventing idols. I want everyone to stand up real quick. I'm going to read the word of the Lord together. Actually, don't read it with me. Let me read it. Exodus 23 through 6 says this, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for today. I just ask that you be with us in this time, that you soften our hearts to receive and be receptive of your word. I pray the Holy Spirit takes control of my mind, Father, to get across your love, your will for these people in this house, God. Help us to fall more and more in love with you. All God's people said, Amen. you may be seated. So we know from original, old school Exodus days, right? This is an original law that God said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything an image in the form of anything in heaven or on earth or in the waters. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, I love this part, I am a jealous God. A jealous God. What's cool about that, God wants your affection. That's the reason he created you, is for your affection. And Joe mentioned will earlier. He gave us a will in that we can either choose not to give him affection or give him affection. Right? Without the opportunity to choose love or not love, we're robots. If God just created people here and said, boom, 
everyone's going to love me, no one's going to sin, everyone's going to be perfect. It's not love. There's no choice. There has to be choice in, in able to have rela- for there to be able to be relationship, right? So I want to break this down. What is, and I want to spend some time here, what is an idol? Tim Keller says this, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. Now, there's a, there's a common objection to Christianity that I often hear, and it's always the same one from people that don't believe in Jesus. It's that, why do I need that? I'm a pretty good person. You guys ever heard that one? Anyone? Maybe sometimes you feel like, why did Jesus need to come die on a cross? I'm not that bad. Like, maybe he needed to die on a cross for a murderer, but I I lead a pretty good life. I've got a family. I support my family. Whatever it is, I lead a pretty good life. Why do I need a Savior? But see, that's a misunderstanding of what sin actually is. All sin comes from some type of idol worship. And see, what idol worship is, is it's making a good thing. And I want you to remember this. I want you to write this down. Idol worship is making a good thing ultimate. Did you hear that? Making a good thing ultimate. So let's break some of that down. How do I make a good thing ultimate? Man, I'm going to start with my own life. Let's start there. I can show you many, many, many different idols that I've had in my life, and unfortunately, I still have a lot of idols in my life, and so do you, whether you believe it or not, and I'll try to get to that. But throughout the the years of my life, it kind of looked like this. I was driving and thinking about it this morning. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with being a musician, but I didn't just want to be like any musician. I wanted to be like one of those stud bass players that was in the magazines and on TV, and I obsessed about music. The only thing that really mattered to me in life in that moment, the ultimate thing, was that I became this image of myself as this stud musician. Right? Then I got a little bit older, and I got into high school sports, then I wanted to be a football player. The only thing that mattered to me in life that got me out of bed every morning was that I was going to be an NFL football player. Then that didn't work, and I got a girlfriend, and I got a girlfriend. The only thing that mattered to me in life is that I marry this girl because she's hot, and everyone wants her, and that's what I want to do. But you see, all of these idols that I'm serving ultimately end up failing me, right? Then I get a little bit older. I start a business. The only thing that matters to me in life is that I become a successful business owner and become this status quo. It's the thing that drives me, the things that, get, that, that gets me out of bed in the morning, right? And then that fails me. There is no idol in the world on this created earth that's going to give you what you're after, And the problem is, if we're honest with ourselves, all of us still serve idols to some capacity. All of us do. And we're in and out of them. I'm not saying every, like, you have an idol now that you'll never get rid of. That's not what I'm saying. What you'll notice is that we jump from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing, as opposed to keeping the one thing the one thing. That one thing being a relationship with Jesus. Am I right? Now, we're going to go through a little bit of a, a list, 
because I want you to really be self-reflective right now. I want you to look internally and say, hey, where do I have idols in my life? And maybe you don't feel like you do. I'm going to go through a pretty long list, and I'm going to try to do it relatively fast, so I want you to stay with me. But there's a list that Tim Keller came out with that helps you identify where you have idols. Are you guys ready for me? So idol list. But before every one of these, I want you to put these words. Life only has meaning slash I only have worth if, number one. Here's an example. I have power and influence over others. That's power idolatry. Number two. I am loved and respected by whoever. Approval idolatry. Next one. I have this kind of pleasure experience, our particular quality of life, comfort, idolatry. Pause on this one. I see this one in so many of our lives. I see it in my own life. When I get the vacation I want, when I get the whatever I want, when I get the next toy, when I get the next big screen TV, these things drive our lives. They become ultimate, right? The next one. I am able to get mastery over my life in the area of Here's one right now. I'll tell you an idolatry situation I'm currently in in battling and check my heart all the time. I'm currently in a state where I'm trying to lose my COVID weight. I gained like 20 pounds last year during COVID and I'm like, I have been obsessed with getting, and it's amazing how something like that can just drive your emotions, your thoughts. Like I'm in the bathroom, like, do I see an ab yet? Like I think there's an ab there. And I'm like, take, like you guys laugh, but I know y'all have been there. Right? You become obsessed with what you eat. Are you working out enough? Am I drinking enough water? It's like, man, what would my life with God look like if I put that much time and focus on him? What would life look like? And we go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. Next one. People are dependent on me and need me. Helping idolatry. And I've seen this in a lot of people's lives. Next one. Someone is there to protect me and keep me safe. Dependence. Idolatry. Mom gave me that, thanks. Just joking. <laughs> Next one. I am completely free from obligations or responsibilities to take care of someone. Independence. Idolatry. I am highly productive and getting a lot done. Pause on this one. I am highly productive and getting a lot done. Are you a constant mover, constant tasker? This is my wife's, and where's she at? I'm not going to call out one of her idols. But it's like, if you were productive, then that day was good. Right? That fulfills us. That drives us. Right? That also is idolatry. Next one. I am being recognized for my accomplishments, and I am excelling in my work. Achievement. Idolatry. I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and very nice possessions. And everyone read that one 10 times. I have a certain level of wealth, financial freedom, and very nice possessions. You know, one of my favorite stories is uh, Francis of Assisi. If you guys ever want to look him up. He's old school Christian, way back, I forget, like 4th, 5th century something. And he got so obsessed with Jesus that he vowed a life of poverty because he didn't trust his flesh with any type of wealth. 
He got so, he literally would live, and this is extreme, hear me out, but I don't know what happens when we actually put Jesus first. Some, you know what, it probably looks a little extreme. If you look at any of the heroes of the faith, their lives were a little bit wacky. They were obsessed with the person of Jesus. Now, in his heart, this is what he did. I'm not saying all of you guys need to vow a life of poverty, but he didn't trust his flesh with wealth at all, sold it all, said he would always live poor, Live poor became so obsessed with Jesus that he started preaching to the animals, to everything around him. They said when they walk up to a tree full of birds, the birds wouldn't move. They would just listen to him talk. He got so obsessed with God that literally there was a wolf ravaging a town. And he went and tamed the wolf and brought it back and said him and he had been talking to him about Jesus. Now this is a hero of the Catholic faith that made a huge mark on our heritage. Sounds wacky, huh? But why? what does it look like when you actually make Jesus the one thing? Yep. Next. I am adhering to my religion's moral codes and accomplished in its activities. Religion, idolatry. Now, pause. Are you so obsessed with being seen as and in your own heart doing all of the right things that you're not really in relationship with Jesus? You're just obsessed with the system of church and religion. Next. The one person is in my life and happy to be there and or happy with me. Individual person idolatry. Guys, that can be your own spouse. Are you so obsessed that you're in a good relationship or in a good friendship or whatever it is that you have made that thing ultimate? Next one. I feel I am totally independent of organized religion and am living by a self-made morality. Irreligion, idolatry. I hear this one all the time, guys. Like, I'm doing Christianity my way. I don't need religion. Right? Next one. My race and culture is ascendant and recognized as superior. I hope there's no racists in here, but people actually live this way. Next one. A particular social grouping or professional grouping or other group lets me in inner ring idolatry. And I'm going to stop there because this is getting too long. But as you can see, all of us, guys, deal with idolatry of some kind. In 1 John, mom actually texted me this morning and said, make sure I put this in here so I have to say it. And end of 1 John, he has three words he leaves everyone else. Keep your, four words, whatever. It says, keep yourself from idols. So after his entire book that he wrote, the last thing he said is, little children, keep yourself from idols. It's so easy to be caught up into a trap of making things ultimate. Now listen, here's what you do. Let's say I'm a mom and I love my child so much that all I really care about is getting the best for that child. My whole life has meaning and worth if that child succeeds, if that child loved, loves me, I love it, all of it, you are literally making that child your savior as opposed to Jesus, your savior. Tim Keller told this story about a woman that was so obsessed with the affection of men, right? That was her idol. And now this is actually common. So, I mean, this is common amongst women and men, but they were so obsessed with the affection of men that she became addicted. It didn't matter what man it was. It was some kind of man had to give them affection, got so bad that she actually became a drug addict because she couldn't fulfill or find a man that would give her enough fulfillment. When she came to Christ, she was in counseling, and the counselor, being a secular counselor, said, hey, 
You know what you need to do? You need to stop doing everything that you're doing. You need to get a, get a career. You need to get obsessed with your career and become a career woman so you can feel productive and really good about yourself. And she happened to be going to Tim Keller's church at the time, and he said, you know, that's interesting because you're asking me to give up an idol that's common with women, but pick up an idol that's common for men. Did you hear that? See, men are obsessed with career life, right? It's so common for us to idolize advancing in our careers. And women, too, there's exceptions. Hear me out. But guys, we cannot make anything temporal or created our God. We cannot make anything on this earth our Savior or you're, you're setting yourself up for letdown. You're setting yourself up for failure. Yeah? So now... Now that I've convinced everyone that we deal with idols, now we're going to talk about what the solution is. Jonathan Edwards says this, sinful appetites do not decrease but increase by being gratified. The longer our minds are set on earthly things, the more earthly-minded we will grow. Therefore, we must seek the Lord without delay. I don't have that one up there, do I? I'm going to say it again. Sinful appetites do not decrease but increase by being gratified. If I'm addicted to porn, right, and I look at porn, my appetite does not decrease after I've looked at porn. Guess what happens? It increases. Until the point you get so numb to what you're watching, you have to go to something even more perverse. We see this in America right now. We know child pornography and everything else is growing like crazy. Our appetite increases. It doesn't decrease. Making man-made things ultimate leads to destruction. We've got to keep the one thing, the one thing. Now, what's fascinating is I'm going to tell you today, I'm going to go through a solution biblically. And a lot of it, all of us know. But what's fascinating about humans is do you really know it or do you really believe it? Your actions tell me what you believe. You can say something with your mouth and not do it, and that means, you know what that means? You don't actually believe it. Did you hear what I said? You can have all the right answers, but not actually do the thing you know you do. You know why you don't believe it. Why am I telling you that? Because today, the only thing I can do as a preacher of the gospel is continue to preach, 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 preach until you start to believe, 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 and actually do the things we're talking about. And listen, I'm, not, I'm the same way. I'm with you. There are things I can quote the Bible pretty well. I'm, I'm pretty educated. I read like a crazy person, but I'm frustrated with myself because I don't do everything I talk about. And I know the Holy Spirit has to come in me. I have to pray about it, work this out with God to really believe it so I start to do the things, yes? So here's the thing. Matthew 13, 44. Here's what the scripture says about what we're talking about. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. We talked about this in Kingdom Community this week. This verse both frustrates me and gets me super excited. You know why? Because Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field and it gave me so much joy that I sold everything to buy that field. I'm frustrated in a couple of ways. One, 
Why have I not found that kingdom yet? If I had, I would sell everything. I'd turn from all idols and I'd go buy this field and I'd obsess about it. See, what I think Jesus is doing here is he's painting us a picture of what's actually available if we make the one thing the one thing. That we can have so much joy in fulfillment if we will put aside all the crap of the world and chase the ultimate thing. Psalm 27.4 says, what's the first two words? Let's try that again. What's the first two words? One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. So David says, the one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I read this verse over and over and over this week, and I love it. They, they called David a man after God's own heart. He had a huge impact on our faith. We know that, but the one thing, guys, he was after that he would seek after was that he would dwell in the presence of God forever and gaze at his beauty. We have not seen nor imagined what is possible in our relationships with God yet. You have not had the deepest experiences you could, you could imagine. We are scratching the surface at what's possible in our faith. And I love that he says that I will seek after Guys, we have to seek after God to find him. Matthew 7, 7 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for him bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him, guys, in order for us to rid our lives of idols, we have to learn to seek God. And the great thing is the promise of the scriptures say, if I seek, I will find. And anyone that's been in the faith, who has actually spent legitimate time seeking God in prayer or worship or whatever and not found him? Can you raise your hand? Anybody that's been a Christian will tell you over the years the times where they've been in prayer, in devotion, in the disciplines, seeking God, have had deeper experiences in relationship with him. So how do we rid ourselves with idols? There's a psychologist that said this, no addict cannot be an addict by just trying harder. Okay? What they have to do is they have to find affection for something else that overdoes the affection for whatever they're addicted to. Did you hear that? So if I know I have these idols in my life and they're things that I desire, that I love, I can't wake up tomorrow and be like, I'm done with that. Now God's all the one thing. Here's what I have to do. I have to pray about it, seek it out. Right, Talk to God about it. And what's going to happen is my affection for God will grow. My affections for the idols will shrink. And I wish I could tell you that it's like a linear line like this over your Christian life. But honestly, it feels like this. Do you hear what I'm saying? You're still going to battle idols from time to time. But you have to recognize it in your heart. Grow your affection and relationship with Jesus to keep the one thing the one thing. 
I'm going to give you one more story. I don't know where's my clock at. And everyone knows the story, but I just thought it was perfect for this. We're going to turn to Luke chapter, shoot. We put that up there, Keith? I forget what the chapter is. I have it in my notes. Luke chapter 10. This is the story of Martha and Mary. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 says this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him. Talking about Jesus. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen, chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Guys, Mary chose the one thing that was eternal that could never be taken away from her, and that was what? To sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn from him. She chose the one thing to sit at the feet of Jesus. When you wake up tomorrow, guys, the most important thing you can do that day is to be with Jesus. When you wake up on Tuesday, the most important thing you can do that day is to be with Jesus. When you wake up on Wednesday, guys, that can never be taken from you. The people in your life, this is sad, it is. They, they mean something, they do, but they're not ultimate. They can be taken from you. They are not your savior. We're going to one day look at our loved ones in a coffin or vice versa. That person laying there is not your savior. Your savior is Jesus. And it's sad. And what's sad is if we emotionally get so caught up in putting our faith into these man-made things as our savior, they're just setting us up for deeper heartbreak. When we lose a loved one, it's extremely heartbreaking. But there is this hope and faith in Christianity if our relationship is strong with Jesus that we have him no matter what. We have him forever. Does anyone else want that kind of affection in relationship with Jesus? Yeah? So this is the opener, and where I want to go from this sermon is this. We're going to actually dive into the disciplines on how to actually walk this life out. How do we invest the time? Because see, Tim Keller says this, spiritual disciplines are forms of worship. And it is worship that is the final way to replace the idols of your heart. You can't just get relief by figuring out your idols intellectually. You have to actually get to the place that Jesus gives and that only comes when you worship. Analysis can help you discover truths, truths, but then you have to pray them into your heart. That takes time. It's through disciplines, guys. Time with Christ. Time with Jesus. Right? In specific ways that we grow our affection to Christ and our affections for our idols shrink. Will you guys stand up together? Band, you guys can come. So guys, I know that some of you can identify today your idols. Maybe some of you can't. Um, I think it's important to identify them intellectually, but that won't do it. That's a super important point. Just identifying where you're sinful, like I'm pretty good at that. It doesn't help me much with my sin. The only thing that helps me with my sin is living in and through Jesus. No effort of my own will ever get me better. You guys bow your heads with me.
Father, we thank you again for a beautiful Sunday, for an opportunity to worship you, God. God, would you just grow our affection, Father? Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us up, Lord? Fill this house up with your presence. Fill our cars with your presence. Fill our devotion time with your presence. God, we know that that is where true life lies. That's the reason we were put here on this earth. Help us to quit following silly idols in this world that we know will fail us and ultimately let us down. Only you can fill the holes in our heart. These infinite-sized holes, only an infinite God can fill. God, come and fill them. All God's people said.